Matthew chapter 11, please, this morning, as we keep working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. As you're turning there, Kayla, would you put the theme verse on the screen, Matthew 6 and verse 33? Let's read this together, good and loud, with enthusiasm this morning. Matthew 6, 33, begin. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, we come to Matthew 11 today, and we've been focusing on Jesus and his disciples. It's going to shift a little bit. The last two weeks, we looked at the followers of Jesus, and then we saw the, uh, Jesus sending them out as his ambassadors. But today, we're going to see three groups of people uh, that have a part in the kingdom and that respond differently to Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 11, you see doubters, deniers, and disciples. Doubters, deniers, and disciples. And so the question really that I want us to have right from the outset is this. What is your response to Jesus? And I want you to think about identifying with each of these three reactions or these three responses to who Jesus is. There are doubters, there are deniers, and there are disciples. Now, I think obviously we want to be in that last group. Let's look at this verse from last week. It's at the end of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Jesus says this, and I believe in the context, this is meant to encourage those who are following him. That despite what happens in the world, Jesus reminds them, Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. We understand what it means to confess here. It doesn't mean like to confess your sins. It means to acknowledge. To acknowledge who Jesus is. And so to those of us who in our life have arrived at the point where we say, I understand who Jesus is, and I believe him. I believe in him. I give him my heart. That's who he's speaking to. And he says, good news, if you will confess Jesus before this world, if you will count yourself among those who call themselves Christians, then the Father will confess, uh, or then Jesus will confess your name before his Father. What does that mean? It means if you say, Jesus is mine, Jesus says to the Father, yes, she is mine, or he is mine. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know that your name is confessed in heaven from Jesus to the Father? That's an amazing, amazing truth. But, verse 33, whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. So those that reject Christ are denied to the Father, but those who embrace Christ are confessed to the Father in heaven. And so this theme really continues into, verse, uh, into chapter 11. And so you can, even, you can turn over your notes already as we dive into this. Start in verse number 1. The Bible says, It came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in the cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ. Now, this is John who? 
Yeah, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who began his ministry with a prophetic mission to say, Behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was the last prophet. Did you realize that? Like John the Baptist, even though we read him about him in our New Testament, he was actually the very last Old Testament prophet. And he was the one that was prophesied would come and announce the arrival of the Messiah. Well, he did his job. He accomplished his mission. And, and he said this, when Jesus came, John the Baptist said regarding Jesus that Jesus must increase. And John understood if Jesus was going to increase, even if you don't know the scripture, you could probably figure it out. If Jesus is going to increase, John said, I have to decrease. And that is exactly what happened. John had been the most popular and famous preacher in all of the land. He announces Jesus, and then God allows for John the Baptist to be arrested. And really, just a few short days from now, John the Baptist is actually going to be executed. And so now he's in prison. And when you're in prison, I don't know firsthand, thankfully I've never been, but when you are in prison, that obviously is a depressing place. It's a discouraging place. It's not what John had, how John expected this thing to work out. As most people in the day, John probably expected that Jesus would set up the kingdom and he would be a part of it. But now he's a little bit confused. And of all people, of all people, John the Baptist has just a little bit of doubt. He's got some doubt. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, would you read, what, would you read his question when they begin? Art thou, you got to help me out now, ready? Let's start with that, art thou, ready, begin. Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, here's something really interesting. In this verse, see if you notice this. In this verse, you have two things. You have John's moment of doubt, but you also have John's great confidence. I never thought of this until looking at this right now. Obviously, you see the doubt. John's like, are you real? Jesus, are you really the Messiah? But how could, you, how could we say this also shows John's great confidence? Right. He still believes the word. He has not lost his faith in God's word, but he is perplexed by the circumstances. And so that's going to be interesting the way Jesus responds, responds to him. John is, John is not sure, Jesus, are, are you the one? And in fact, that statement, he that should come, if you like to take notes, underline, circle that, he that she, should come is filled with prophetic implications. Remember, behold, he who comes in the name of the Lord, the one who comes. It's a very prophetically, are you the promised one who would come or should we look for another? And John, John has a moment of doubt because things do not appear how they are. But he never lost his confidence 
in the promised word of God. And I want you to notice that for your life. You are going to go through moments in life. I am going to go through moments of life that we have our doubts, where we have some uncertainty, where we say, God, I just don't understand. Is this really what you want? There is a difference between a genuine doubter and a skeptic. A skeptic, skeptical doubt is looking for a reason why not to believe. Isn't it interesting how people approach their doubts? A skeptical doubter is looking for evidence to not believe. But a believing doubter, if you will. It's kind of like the guy who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. A, a sincere doubter is someone that is not looking for evidence to disprove, but is looking for assurance of what they know to be true. So it's okay to have your moments of doubt. It's okay to have your moments of uncertainty, so long as you bring them where? Where does John bring his doubts? Who does he bring them to? Who does he bring them to? He brings his doubts to Jesus. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't start up a focus group. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't find other people in prison. And he doesn't look at the other people in prison and say, well, I don't know, what do you think about Jesus? If he's got a doubt, if he's got a question, he brings it right to the Lord. And I will tell you, I have encountered many people that have brought up doubts, but I've always found that those who are willing to actually get to the word of God and look for the answer, those doubts are resolved. Jesus can handle your doubts. There's a difference between a doubter in this sense and a denier. So what does Jesus do? I think it's awesome what you see next. So Jesus, verse 3, or I'm sorry, verse number 4, Jesus answered, and he says to them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Very interesting in these verses. I hope you, tr you track this with me. Jesus never answers John's question directly here, does he? He does not answer the question directly. He does not say, tell John to stop doubting, I am the Messiah. He never says that. What does he point John and John's followers to? What does he point them to? His works, but there's actually something. Be Is he just saying, hey, tell John to look at all the miracles? Is that At first glance, it sounds like that's what's happening here. John has doubts? Well, tell him all these miracles that I'm doing. Tell him all the things that have happened. But is Jesus primarily pointing John to the miracles? You're like, well, you're setting us up, so obviously not. So just tell us, right? Okay. He's not. Do you know what these miracles are? They are specific fulfillments of prophecies in Isaiah. We're not going to go there today, but write these down if you like to study these things. Go to Isaiah chapter... 35 in your free time 
and go to Isaiah chapter 61. And you will find the miracles specifically recorded in 35 and the preaching of the gospel to the poor in Isaiah 61. So you tell me now, what is John the Baptist being pointed to? Jesus is pointing John the Baptist back to what? Back to the scriptures. Back to the Bible. Jesus, who could just speak and resolve this doubt, is demonstrating once again the authority and the place of the Bible and the life of the believer. And please, we live in a day and age where even Christian people are compromising on the authority of the Word of God. But our Savior, Jesus himself, pointed back to the Bible. This book is not irrelevant. It's not outdated. It is not dead. It is just as much alive today as it has ever been. And if you have a question, if you have a problem, if you have a doubt, take it to the book. And I don't mind sounding old-fashioned or out of date or from another bygone era. It doesn't matter because this book is alive and it will change your life. Be careful of Christian teachers and Christian uh, influencers and Christian people who don't give you loads and loads of Bible. Christian books. Get, get me back to the book. That's what Jesus did it over and over again. Well, I was on vacation a few weeks ago and my dad brought the message John, from John chapter 5. Jesus says to the Pharisees, search the scriptures. We will always be, by God's grace, a Bible church. Always. And that's up to you. That's up to all of us. Because to be a Bible church, we have to be Bible believers and Bible families. Love the Bible. Read the Bible. Know the Bible. You see, your doubts, it's okay. You say, but Pastor Ethan, I'm just unsure about this, and I don't understand. I'm, I'm struggling with this, and I'm struggling with that. It's okay. We've all had our doubts, just like John the Baptist. But Jesus is going to give you the same answer. Search the Scriptures. Study the Word of God. You'll find it in there. There are doubters. It's okay. Because the word of God will resolve your doubts. As they, verse 7, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet. Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily, I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. I always wondered this, and he doesn't, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly why. I have a theory. What makes John the Baptist the greatest of all the prophets? How many of you think you have an idea? You have a good guess, at least. How many of you, I won't call on you, I promise. I just, I'm, I'm curious. How many of you, if you raise two hands, I'll call on you. But if you raise one hand, how many of you have a good guess why John the Baptist just might be the greatest of all prophets? Okay, we don't know for sure. 
But my best guess is this. All the other prophets gave us a message in a veiled, hazy outline, a shadow, the New Testament calls it. But John the Baptist literally took his finger and pointed to the man, the God-man, Jesus himself. I think he's the greatest prophet because he's the last prophet. He's the one that says, ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you your Messiah. Here he is. I think he's the greatest prophet because he had the greatest message of all the prophets. But you might have another theory, and I'll, I'll take it into consideration. Now look what Jesus says, though. As great as John was, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In other words, you and I get to partake of a kingdom that John only pointed to. The kingdom of heaven is such that we have a relationship with Jesus. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are, I am a kingdom child, a servant of the true and living king. This kingdom, this status that I have is greater. Jesus is pointing that he's telling his followers, just hang on. Just hold on, because you are going to encounter something even greater than John the Baptist. Why? Look what he says in verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. This is a much debated passage of scripture. Go ahead back to verse 12 again. There's a lot of people do not understand exactly how to interpret this. There's two main schools of thought. Jesus is saying, here comes the kingdom and it's coming violently. It's coming in like, you know, it's, it's coming in with power. Or people, which I tend to think he's speaking of based on the context, the other interpretation is that the enemies, the enemy is trying everything it can to stop the ushering in of the kingdom. And these violent men, spiritually violent, but then ultimately physically violent, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are going to, with violence, try to stop God's kingdom. Jesus, I think, either way, with, with either interpretation, I think the point is this. We are at a climactic moment in the redemptive history. This is a moment of climax, where the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Jesus is there. For all, verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this, speaking of John, is Elijah, Elias, which was to come, the prophecy fulfilled. He that hath ears, let him hear. Interesting statement at the end. If you are a true believer in Christ, even with your doubts. You come to passages like this and your ears perk up. Your spirit awakens because you look at this truth and like, yes, Jesus' kingdom, I am a part of it. But there would be no doubt some people that hear this passage and they just yawn it off. Okay. Interesting little tidbit of history. Jesus is about to talk about the deniers. The deniers begin, they don't 
don't have ears to hear. They begin in verse number 16. And he pronounces judgment on this generation. Verse 16, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? They are like children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. Let's back up to verses 16 and 17 again. Children sitting in the markets. We have a familiar scene even to us today, though maybe not in the marketplace, of children playing make-believe. Now, at the one, on the one hand, uh, verse 17, they are, they're pretending to play fun songs. Like maybe you would, you would imagine they're playing make-believe like a wedding. That was the biggest feasts of their, their day. And they would pretend to have a celebration and they would play their, their little flutes and they'd, they'd play make-believe. Or maybe they're doing the opposite, and they're literally, you know, how, how many of you, you played house, or you played church, or you did make-believe when you were a kid? I think what you have here is, on the one hand, they're playing make-believe with a party. The other hand, they're playing make-believe with a, with a what? With a funeral. Kids do the darndest things, as they say. But anyway, there they are. Jesus says, on the one hand, but, but you... You, he says, this generation, you're like the kid who's got a bad attitude. I'm not playing. Any of you remember that? I know some of us, we've got to look way back to those childhood years. But how about that kid that, you know, everybody's playing the game, and that one kid, well, if you're not going to do what I want, I'm going home. Or I'm just going to sit over here. And it doesn't matter what they do. But we'll, we'll, we'll play your favorite game. We can do the party. Nope, don't want to do it. Oh, well, well, we'll do the funeral game. Nope, don't want to do it. He says, that is what you are like. What does he mean? He says, verse number 18. Verse 18, because John came neither eating or drink, drinking. In other words, John was this rugged wilderness guy who was this thundering prophet. He didn't have time for anybody. Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And you're like, well, that guy, he must have a devil. And then in verse 19, Jesus says, well, me, the son of man, I came. And I'm the opposite as far as personality goes. I eat and drink with everybody. And we, you know, have these relationships. And you're like, ah, this guy is gluttonous and a wine bibber. A friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, he says, examine your lives, examine your heart, because your life is speaking louder about you. It's revealing who you really are. You see, these people, they had Jesus right in front of them. And they said, no, that's not for us. The very worst, they were just completely uninterested in Jesus. Some of them would become violently opposed to Jesus. And he says, it doesn't matter what is done before you. Miracles, fulfilled prophecy, you are just bent on denying me. These are the deniers. Do we still have this reaction to Jesus today? Of course we do. 
It doesn't matter what's going on among God's church. It doesn't matter how many Bibles are being printed and how many Bible studies. Don't we live in a time when there is more spiritual nourishment available than ever before? There are more Christian organizations than ever, ever before. We even have Christian entertainment today. There's so much that God is doing even in our generation. And a lot of people, they, they're like, well, you know, the church, I, I've just come to realize that like all these church experts that are like, well, these, the church isn't growing because they've, they're too hard on this. Or the church isn't growing because they're too soft on this. I don't even know how relevant any of that is. What was Jesus doing wrong for people to not believe in him? In fact, nothing. In a lot of ways, I think the church of today has a lot of healthy things going for it. For all the things we say negatively about the state of the church, and I do think there are a lot of corrections that need to be made, there are millions of Christians around the world still doing great things for God. God is still moving around the world. It is not always the church's fault that the world doesn't want anything to do with it. It's just not. So be faithful, Christian. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep loving Jesus. Just keep witnessing to your neighbors. Just keep being a light in the world. But understand, Jesus says this, that, that no matter what's happening, there will be some people that are just bent on denying Christ or ignoring Christ. No matter what's going on, they say, no, I'm just not too interested in that. In the West, it's usually because of our great abundance. Well, Jesus sounds interesting, but I got a lot of other really cool things going on in my life sports and vacations and a new job and 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 i got this cool thing planned and, 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 yeah jesus okay I, I don't need that maybe someday i'll look into that and then maybe in other places of the world there's more hostility to jesus or we actually have both in our culture here both disinterest and passionate denial either way we are very much our generation is very much like this generation the deniers. Well, there's a great warning given. Jesus says in verse number 20, verse 20, he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Can I just give a little note if you're a teenager, a young person in here today? If God has done a great work in your family, be careful that you don't ignore the Holy Spirit. Because where God, these people were so close, they saw, these cities, they saw the miracles of Jesus, but they wouldn't repent. Verse 21, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. The danger of denying Jesus is that the more you know about him, 
the more you see him and still reject, the greater the judgment. Jesus indicates that there are levels of judgment in the afterlife. That all judgment is not equal. And the greatest judgment is for those who saw what God could do and still turned their back away. To get so close, but remain so far. Interesting passage. I said this, I think, last week, or maybe the week before, that this is why we preach verse by verse through the Bible. Because in this passage, in this chapter, you find some of the scariest words that Jesus ever spoke, but you're also going to find some of the most comforting words that Jesus ever spoke. But we need all of his words. We need all of them. It's, it's kind of funny. There are some people that call themselves red-letter Christians. How many of you have heard that term before? Well, I'm a red-letter Christian. And what they mean is, I'll just stick with the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus, and I don't want all that scary Old Testament stuff or that other stuff. I'll just stick with the red words. And sometimes I scratch my head and I'm like, have you read all the red words? <laughs> have you read them all? Because Jesus gave us some strong words, and these are some of them. Verse 25, now we come to the disciples. We've seen the doubters. There's hope for the doubters. There's very little hope for the deniers. But where we all want to land, where we all want to be, is we want to be the disciples. Now, this is where Jesus changes his tune, and you're going to find wonderful encouragement. That's why I wanted to put this whole chapter together for you today. He says, actually, he does a prayer. He, gives, he, he makes a prayer to the Father so that everybody could hear. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. What is, the, what is his point there? Jesus is saying, my true disciples, I'm not looking for the smartest people. I'm not looking for the greatest people. I'm not looking for the people that the whole world says has got it figured out, they've got it going on. Jesus says, you have revealed the truth to these babies. Can you imagine if Jesus was here praying this? <laughs> you're, you're, we're the disciples, and Jesus is up here praying. Every, we all bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't revealed this to the, 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 the wise and the prudent, but you have revealed them to these babies. You'd be talking to us. And that's all we are supposed to be. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are like, you've got to, and, and I know, all of this in its place is appropriate, but you've got to be a great leader, and you've got to go do mighty things. And Jesus says, well, why don't you start by just being like a little baby who receives from my hand. You, you don't have to have too many qualifications for that, do you? You don't have to have a lot going on. You don't have, a lot, have, you don't have to have a lot to offer to say, I am just going to come to Jesus as a simple baby. What is it about a baby? A baby is totally helpless. A baby is totally dependent on nurture and care. That is us. So, 
all of us spiritually, we get stronger in the faith. I understand that. The New Testament talks about that. But Jesus says that truth is revealed to people who understand their weakness. It doesn't mean you can't be smart and be a Christian. Right? It doesn't mean you can't be accomplished. But it does mean that sometimes your smarts and your accomplish are not the great assets that you thought they would be. But they can actually hinder the work of God in your life if they're not fully yielded to Christ. Even so, Father, verse 26, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son, but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Jesus has said things like this before. If you want to see the Father, look at me. If you, if you look at me, you'll see the Father. That this, Jesus is in perfect unity with his Father. And from that place of power and authority, he gives what I think are some of the most powerful, what is the most powerful call to discipleship in all the Bible. Words that have, words that have spoken to hearts, broken hard hearts, and called broken hearts to Jesus. When he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me. Come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the hope for the disciple. We spend so much time trying to be wise and trying to be mighty and trying to do all this. And Jesus said, God reveals the truth to, to little babies. So come to me. You're laboring. You're fretting. You've got a heavy load that you're carrying. I spoke with someone recently that uh, or I texted someone recently that's been going through a struggle, and, and, and I said, hey, I said, hey, it's in the struggle that you need to come to Jesus. In the struggle, you need to come to Jesus. And it saddens me that in their struggle, they're not in the moment entirely. Jesus is here for burdens. Jesus is here for heavy loads that we carry. What a, what a contrasting picture we've had in this passage too, haven't we? Just a few minutes ago, he says, woe to you cities. He speaks with judgment to the deniers, but for those who would be his disciples, he says, just come. Just come to me. I will give you rest. Are you resting in the Lord right now? Are you resting in his goodness? I mean, just take a deep breath. In verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Do you remember what a yoke is? That's an old agricultural device. You have two oxen, you're trying to plow a field, you need the strength of both oxen, but they want to go their own way. So you take that yoke and you connect those oxen together so now they walk as one. And Jesus says, you need, to, you need to take my yoke on you. So you're going to let go of some of your independence, but you're going to let me carry your load. 
You're going to let go some of your autonomy, but you're going to let me be your strength. For I am meek and lowly. We understand that we all wear some kind of yoke, right? You're either yoked to Jesus or you're yoked to something else that's controlling you, that's directing you, that's compelling you. So why not take the easy yoke? Why not take the gentle and lowly yoke? So he says again, the second time we see it, ye shall find, what's it say? Rest. He finished verse 28, I will give you rest. I'm meek and lowly in heart, ye shall find rest. In verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does Jesus say, I will eliminate your burden? Does he say, the rest of your life, there'll be nothing that you have to carry? Does he say that? But he says, whatever you carry, so long as you let me carry the load, that burden will be light. I'm speaking to a group of people for the most part, I assume that 99, if not 100% of this room, you are either, you're not a denier. You're either in a John the Baptist doubting moment or you're marching forward in a disciple moment. So answer the question right now. Don't raise your hand. Don't tell me. Answer the question right now. Where are you today? Of these three, which do you most identify with this morning? Doubter? Hopefully not denier, but we can take care of that today too. You can receive Christ today. Doubter, denier, or disciple. And when I say disciple, I don't mean perfect. I just mean, yeah, I'm not really, I don't really have any doubts. I'm struggling, but I don't really have any doubts. I'm with probably a lot of us. That's where we are today. I'm a disciple. I'm doing my best to follow the Lord. That's what I want. Well, what is Jesus' message to the disciple? Lean into your discipleship. Let him lift the load. Walk more closely to him. That's what he desires. If you're a doubter, just spend more time in the word. Be to church more often. If you're, It's amazing if you go through doubts or the devil wants to take you and just isolate you over here. But just get around God's people and start, start yoking up closely with Jesus each and every day because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. If you have never confessed Christ, if you've never been saved, why don't you do that this morning? At the end of the service right now, as we go to prayer, just tell Jesus, say, Lord, I do want to receive you. I do want to believe in you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll have our prayer time. It's a still moment, a quiet moment. Where did you find yourself in the message today? Which profile are you? Okay, so now you know what decision do you need to make. Do you need to bring your doubts to Jesus this morning? Do you need to get closer to him as a disciple? Or maybe you'd say, Pastor Ethan, I just... The Lord convicted my heart today and I need to become a true Christian. I need, to, I need to stop denying Jesus and I need to believe in him. Well, if that's whether you're in this room or you're watching our video today,
If you need to receive Jesus, why don't you do that right now? He invites you and he says, come. How do you do it? You just admit your sin and ask him to save you. You could pray something like this. Right where you are, wherever you are, pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I'm lost. But I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose again. Please save me. I put my faith in you. Make that decision right now, wherever you are. Pray that prayer of faith. Pray that prayer of belief. Yes, Jesus, I'm trusting you and you alone. Christians, how many of you as a testimony, still with our eyes, bowed, our eyes closed, heads bowed, how many of you as a quick testimony would say, God spoke to you about something specific today? Would you slip up your hand and put it down? Anybody at all? Thank you, thank you. Amen. Hands up everywhere. So, so that means that you know how to pray in these next few minutes. Aaron's going to play a little bit on the guitar. And we're just going to have a short prayer time. But however God spoke to your heart, just spend a minute with him. Spend a minute with him. Strengthen your faith. Let him speak to you. Let's just have a quiet moment for just about a minute. Father, we thank you so much <clears throat> that you offer us rest. We thank you that you offer us freedom through your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to rest in you, to trust in you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.